0: Amen. Yeah, we do honor our mothers today. Would you give our mothers a hand? (laughs) I want to share something with you uh, before we get into the message. Uh, First, um, we have a gift. If you're a lady in this room, and uh, you can hear my voice, and if you can hear my voice, then you're a lady in this room. Uh, We have a gift for you, and uh, one of the great things about serving on a staff is that um, not every single decision I come up with is the one we go with. So I'm horrible at picking out gifts. I'm really good at saying, we should do something. But then the actual gift, you know, picking the thing out, yeah. This is where I'm really grateful for people like Chandra, who is our director of operations. We have a gift for you ladies, and I didn't pick it out. Uh, And uh, as you leave here today, if you're a woman uh, out of high school and up, Please, please stop by one of the baskets, take out one of those gifts. One of the best ways I think that we can invest in anybody is giving them something that pulls them into the Word of God. And uh, that's our truth. And so I want to encourage you to take one of those That's a gift to you, just to invest in you. At the same time too, I do want to say something because uh, days like this, Mother's Day, Father's Day, different holidays like this, uh, sometimes mean certain things for different people than they do for others. And uh, sometimes a holiday like this is a struggle. And uh, I want to read something for you. I came across this. I did not write this. A woman by the name of Amy Young did. I edited a little bit. But uh, this, to me, uh, speaks a lot of truth. And I I just want to, I guess, bless you with this uh, this morning. So let me read this for you. To those who gave birth in this year, to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who lost a child this year, we mourn with you. To those who are in the trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stain, we appreciate you. To those who experience loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we may say foolish things we don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who are single and long to be mothering your own children we hear you. To those who do not desire to have children, yet have the opportunity to speak into the lives of others, we honor you. To those who step-parent, we walk with you on these complex paths. To those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart. And we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. Can I pray for you? Father, thank you for the women that are a part of this congregation who are even just hearing my voice right now online. Uh, We're so grateful that, Father, we have one another. So we honor these women today. Uh, Whatever stage they find themselves in, uh, they are blessed and precious In your sight. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wish everybody um, could have met my mother, Kathy Doring. Uh, My mom passed away. She she was about to turn 57, so she was very young. uh, And she had several bouts with cancer, and uh, in kind of a surprise twist, her cancer came back, and we had about two weeks. Uh, really to spend with my mom before she passed away. I'm so grateful my mom gave her life to Christ a few days before she passed away, and uh, that's an amazing thing, but I really do wish everybody could have met my mom. My mom uh, is one of the most intimidating women that you might have ever met, even though she was maybe about, she was about this tall, okay, and uh, red hair, kind of round, and uh, she was just an amazing, amazing woman, uh, my my brother and I, our goal was always to get my mom to laugh so much that she had to leave the room because she had to go to the bathroom. Uh, I mean, she, we could get her going. But my mom also, and I shared a little bit of my family history and stuff. Boy, my mom was so quick. I mean, she could open her mouth, and the stream of consciousness of colorful language was like artistry. I mean, it was just... It would just, and you'd, just, you'd be rocked back. Like, where did that just come from? And my mom was just this incredible, incredible woman, and she was tough. My mom was a very, very proud woman, and she was exceptionally proud and exceptionally defensive when anybody messed with her kids. And uh, it wasn't Mama Bear. It was like Mama Dragon, and uh, I mean, fire, ah. And uh, my mom is the one who taught me, Rich, you don't get into fights. You end fights. Which is like something you would hear a mob boss say. <laughs> but that was my mom. We don't fight fair. You end fights. And let me show you how. So that was, that was this little red-headed lady. And again, I wish everybody would have met her. The reason I'm telling you this It is because the the passage of scripture that I'm about to read for you uh, literally was not modeled for me whatsoever. The stuff that we're going to look at only happens in your life if you've had a transformational experience with Jesus Christ. And it's just the bottom line. Uh, This is just stuff that was not a part of my wheelhouse. It's not how I was taught growing up, and I know I'm not alone. But what we're going to look at today is so upside down, it's almost angering. When you read it. So let me read this passage for you. It's Matthew 5:38 through 48. The words will be on the screen. This is Jesus. You've heard that it was said, "An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil, but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go two give to the one who begs from you, do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Then he ends it with this. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. We've been looking at How God's will is done on earth in the region as it is in heaven. And we've been taking our cues from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Next week, we'll wrap it up and then we start a new series on Pentecost Sunday. But today, we're coming to what I think is a very intriguing passage. Uh, To me, uh, there are a few passages in the New Testament that really represent just how contrary the Christian ethic is than this section of Scripture. And also, this is a section of Scripture that may be more misunderstood than so many other sections of Scripture. And there's recognizable phrases in this. I mean, even if you weren't raised in the church, even if you weren't familiar with Scripture, uh, there, there are phrases that get thrown around in the world today that come from this. Turn the other cheek. Okay. Go the extra mile. Those kinds of phrases are familiar to, to all of us. But for those of us who are kingdom citizens who are seeking to represent the will of God in the world today. This is upside down. This is upside down. This section of Scripture reveals really how hard this is, how costly this is. So we're just going to be real. These passages cause all kinds of problems, all kinds of issues. For example, verse 39, do not resist the one that is evil. Okay, so what does that mean? Does that mean I could just let people walk all over me? Does that mean I should never defend myself, uh, you know, not protect my family or others if they're in trouble? Does that mean that I need to, if I don't resist the one who's evil, does that mean I surrender my rights and my, my freedoms? I mean, even, listen, Jesus drove the money changers out of the temple with a whip, okay? So when he's saying don't resist the one who is evil, I mean, what, what is he really getting at here? This is complicated. It's confusing, You got verse 42, give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse to the one who would borrow from you. Okay, so you're telling me I have to lend somebody money who is horrifically irresponsible with money. So if somebody says, hey, can you, can you bum me 10 bucks, and their track record is they're not going to repay you that 10 bucks for the hundredth time, does this mean that you're supposed to just do this automatically and check your brain at the door? If you run across every single person on the street who's asking you for money, does that mean you give money to every single, I mean, do you, do you get to use discernment in this? What is What is Jesus getting at in this? And then... Kind of the, the cherry on top of all of this is verse 48. It's the last verse. You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly father is perfect. How many of you are perfect? Okay, I'm just checking. Nobody raised their hand. All right. We know this. Okay. Now the Greek word for perfect here is teleos or teleos, and it means mature. That's what the word perfect means here. Mature or representative so in the context of this passage jesus is saying you can demonstrate your maturity you can demonstrate your family likeness with jesus in how you love your enemies all right so put your finger there we're going to circle back around to that i want you to think just for a second about these statements from jesus because right from the beginning you can see how unrealistic these things are and they are. It is okay to say, hey man, I don't like this. I don't like this. And that's the point. They're characteristics of a different kind of people. People who are transformed by the renewing of their minds. Paul says in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed anymore to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. He says, then you'll know what God's perfect and pleasing will is, is when some kind of a transformation happens on the inside that turns you into somebody completely different than what the world looks like. Now, in the scenarios that Jesus talked about, retaliation, generosity, all these different things, in the pattern of this world, those things look much, much different than the pattern of those who claim citizenship in the kingdom of God. And so based on what Jesus says in this passage right here, First of all, God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven in this region. As it is in heaven. By those who, number one, do not respond to insults. Do not respond to insults. Jesus said in verse 39, But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. He goes on he says, But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. Okay. So I'm just going to say what all of you are thinking. That's messed up, right? That's not right. That's not how that works. My mom taught me to end fights. (laughs) That's just not how the world works. Not not only am I supposed to let somebody hit me, but then I'm just supposed to stand there and let them do it again. Now, the first thing that we need to know is what Jesus is describing here is not a physical altercation. 90%. 90% 90% of the world's population is right-handed. 90%. And Jesus is very specific in the passage. He says, when somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the other also. So what does it take for somebody who's right-handed to strike somebody else on the right cheek? Ninja moves? Like, that's, no. That's not, <laughs> that's not what he means. No, it's backhanded. That looks different, doesn't it? A backhanded slap has a different connotation. In rabbinic law, you, backhanded slap, you backhand slap someone to infantize them, to take them down a notch. It was an insult to backhand slap someone. Okay, that's different, isn't it? That's different. I've not been in a physical altercation since I was in high school. I can't say the same for verbal ones. Jesus is pointing out that his will is done through people who do not return. Insult for insult. Instead, you offer the other cheek. You don't retaliate. Pastor Rich, that's not fair. That's hard. Yeah, it is. And we'll get to that here in just a second. But first, God's will is also done through those who, number two, do more than is required to make something right. Verse 40, if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Okay, so we don't have time. You know, if you want to Google it or something, you can get into the tunic cloak thing. It's a cultural thing. Okay, but what Jesus is getting at here is if you have any, if you have a debt and you have failed to pay that debt, To somebody and then somebody just to get what is owed them has to sue you and force your hand to get that money back that's gotten to a pretty strained point in the relationship and Jesus is saying you're still out of balance there you need to go beyond that don't just pay him back go an extra step go an extra step now if you're going to do something like that first of all you have to admit that you didn't do something that you failed that, that, that you didn't follow through, that you were wrong, and you have to be willing to make restitution. And the best way, I think, to understand this is to turn the tables. Think of somebody who might have something against you, something against you. It may not be money. It may be something that you said or you did uh, to them. Maybe you took credit for something that they did. Maybe you took advantage of somebody's kindness. They were really, really good to you, and they have been good to you over and over and over again, and you've taken advantage of that. Maybe you spread gossip, whatever the case is. If you have wronged anyone, if you've wronged anyone, Jesus is challenging you to make restitution and then some, and then some. Do more than is required. Pastor Rich, that's not fair. That's not right. That's hard. It is. It is. And we'll get to that. But first, God's will is also done by those who, number three, return mistreatment with kindness. This just got harder. Citizens of the kingdom of God return mistreatment with kindness. Verse 41, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. So in Jesus' day, Roman law, because Rome was in charge at that point, Roman law said that a Roman soldier who had carried, was carrying his pack or carrying equipment could stop a Jewish citizen and force that Jewish citizen to carry their stuff for one mile. And then they'd be done. Okay, so a couple things. Not only is that inconvenient for the Jewish citizen, I mean, they had things to do, they were going somewhere, but clearly, you know, they're taking their time, it's also just an abuse of power, right? I mean, they're just abusing the right that they have to make somebody else do something for them. And so Jesus is saying, if somebody inconveniences you, if somebody causes you to do something that's not something that you want to do, do it twice. Go the extra mile. In other words, go out of your way to treat that person with kindness. How many of you have ever had an unreasonable boss. If your boss is in this room, do not raise your hand. Okay, how many of you have ever had a, I mean, come in late. Hey, I need you to stick around tomorrow for an extra two hours. We've got this and this and this and this to do, but he's not asking anybody else. Or, or your boss says, hey, I need you to come back early tomorrow morning because she needs you to count this and this. I mean, all those are... Give me your phone number so that I can call you at 1130 at night in case I have a crisis. And you know, just those unreasonable demands... And Jesus is saying, when that happens, if they, de- if they demand an extra hour, give them two. Cheerfully, enthusiastically. Aren't you super excited about this? Isn't this awesome? Okay, it gets better. God's will is also done by those who don't play favorites. Number four, give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I think it's interesting that Jesus would throw this one in the mix. I think I think, generally speaking, most of us are willing to give something or, or give to people that we like or, or, you know, things along those lines to somebody we like. But Jesus is saying, listen, don't just be generous with your friends. Give to all. Give to all. And that has to do with more than just money. It applies to how we treat people, the time we give, everything. Again, this is easier said than done, isn't it? This is kind of unrealistic, to live a life. I mean, if you lived a life this way, what would it look like? What would it look like? Those are the four big issues that Jesus addresses, really, in this passage. Okay, God's will is done through those who will live these things out. There's really no getting away from that. He's saying, if you're a kingdom citizen and my will is going to be done through you, in you and through you, in this region, in the world, this stuff is going to be seen. This is how things are going to play out. Now, these are hard truths, and then he ends with verses 43 and 44. They're on the screen. You've heard that it was said, "Love you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. A normal person would end the message here. Uh, you know, here's your challenge. You know, it's people who seek to be people who God's will is done through them in the region, in the world. You know, uh, make sure you look at the questions that are on your handout or that are on Facebook right now. Go through those. Sit down with a life group. Sit down with your life group, go through those questions, Reread the passage. What are the parts that you struggle with most? And now let's pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, let's do what we've got to do to see these things manifested in our lives. Is there something in your life that's keeping you from doing one of these four things? I mean, we can, and here's your challenge, what one thing are you going to work on this next week that's going to make this stuff better in your life and, and all that kind of different stuff? I'm going to tell you right now, I don't like any of that. I don't like any of that today. I don't like that verse. That verse is a problem. It's a problem. And so what I want to do today is I want to kind of throw your notes away. (laughs) I want to talk to you about a word. And that word is reciprocity. Reciprocity. I told you, we're going to take a left turn right now, okay? Um, That's a fancy word with a really, really simple meaning. It means responding to someone in kind. That's what it means. Reciprocity is responding to someone in the same way that they've responded to you. And reciprocity is a universal human experience. Our world rises and falls on reciprocity. Uh, Somebody does something for you, you respond in kind, usually in proportion to what's been done for you. For example, let's say you come up to me and say, Pastor Rich, can I take you out for a cup of coffee? I say, sure so we go out for a cup of coffee reciprocity would dictate that at some point i might reciprocate what you just did for me and i would call you and say hey can i take you for a cup of coffee or buy you a sandwich or something in kind so that there's a balance in the relationship but let's let's turn this a little bit let's say that you asked me out for coffee once twice seven times you've asked me if i want to get coffee and you've bought me a cup of coffee but not once have i ever said hey Next time it's my turn, let me take you for a cup of coffee. Or by that time a steak dinner, right? I mean, so I mean, I can't turn down a steak dinner. So that's that's kind of where we're at. And what happens is the relationship gets awkward, doesn't it? Something's off because the scale is tipped, and reciprocity would dictate a back and forth balance to keep that relationship at an even kilter. Does that make sense? You don't do it, the relationship's out of balance, and that's awkward. Socially, things get off at that point. It maintains a balance with those that are around us. It's the same thing, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, when somebody, you exchange gifts with somebody. And somebody gives you a gift that's worth whatever, 50 bucks. And you, like, stopped on your way to their house for a a card at the dollar store. Right? Nothing wrong with a card from the dollar store, but the, the, the difference all of a sudden causes a little awkwardness in your relationship, doesn't it? And it feels a little bit off. We feel obligated. Listen closely. We feel obligated to reciprocate, to, to protect the relationship that we have, don't we? We want to protect that relationship. But when it comes to enemies, reciprocation is not just assumed. We treat reciprocation. Is a right. An eye for an eye, right? An insult for an insult. You slight me, you're going to be slighted. Reciprocation. That's why a sermon on this topic for people who desire to be used to fulfill God's will in the world around us, this doesn't just end with a nice formula, four points, and a challenge. In a crowd this size, this is what I know. And online, there are people right now in this room who have had unspeakable things done to them. Some of you have had unspeakable things done to you. Things that people like me could never ever imagine. And I have had unspeakable things done to me that some of you could never imagine. The pain runs deep, doesn't it? It runs deep. So closing with love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and then asking you to step up to the plate, suck it up, figure out what you've got to do in order to see these things come about in your life, to me feels ignorant. Ignorant. What is Jesus getting at here? It's in the last verse. It's verse 48. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I'm not perfect, Pastor. Neither am I. You're figuring that one out. So what is he getting at here then? Perfection here means mature. To reflect the perfect character of God. It talks about the intent of your heart and the character of God, this perfection and maturity we are called to. It's perfect love. It's perfect love. It's also known as agape love. Can I describe what this looks like? Can I describe what this perfect love looks like that you and I are called to reflect? This perfect love knows no boundaries or borders. It's careless if you look at this from the outside. It's indiscriminate. It doesn't need to receive. This love does not need to receive in order to be given. It doesn't ask, who is my neighbor? This love is a bold love. Social norms are not honored in this kind of a love. It's inconvenient love. It's risky love. It extends itself with absolutely no guarantee that it will be reciprocated. That's the kind of love this is. It takes time. It's expensive. Personal cost is not a consideration when it comes to agape love, when it comes to perfect love. It's a choice that supersedes favorable conditions. It's costly. It's wholly unselfish. It goes beyond friendship. It goes beyond charity. It trumps self-interest. It trumps self-concern, self-preservation. It loves the unlovable. And yes, this perfect love, this agape perfect love that you and I are supposed to embody also does things like loves enemies. And it is that love that is the exact reason that you're sitting in the seat that you're sitting in right this very moment. It's that love. Agape love is the kind of love King Jesus expresses in his kingdom, the one that you and I represent. It's not a kingdom where reciprocation exists for good or bad. Perfect love is not a transaction. It's one where you love even so. It's love in spite of. It's love regardless. Regardless. How can you do that? How can knowing, knowing what someone has done to you, how can you do that? Why would you love like that? I want to read something for you. Um, <clears throat> this book has formed me a lot. Uh, it's called The Upside-Down Kingdom by Donald Craybill. I think it was first published in the early 80s, actually. But I want to read something about this um, from chapter 9 in his book. It's very brief. He says this, Responding to complaints from scribes and Pharisees that he was eating with sinners, Jesus told a story to clarify God's love, and then he, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, in Luke chapter 15. This is what the author writes. This is a parable's central question. What is God like? Jesus suggests that God is like a foolish father. According to Jewish custom, the younger of two sons was entitled to one-third of his father's property. If the son received the property as a gift, he did not have the right to dispose of it until after his father's death. To dispose of it while the father was living was treating the father like a corpse. This young upstart violates several cultural customs. He demands his share of the property long before his father dies. He leaves his father. He squanders and funds that can never support the father again. He treats his father like he's already dead. It was the rudest thing a son could do to a father. The son ends up tending swine. Such work was prohibited in Jewish culture, which considered pigs not only unclean, but the very abode of devils. Imagine the father's embarrassment. The scribes in the village surely sneered at him. Why did he foolishly give property to his son? The son had shattered his father's reputation, esteem, and honor. Yet he doesn't defend himself. He doesn't retaliate to protect his social status. He doesn't run after the son with a search party. He gives his son the freedom to go. Moreover, he patiently waits for his son to return. He never forgets him. He walks out the lane every day, waiting, watching, hoping, expecting. Finally, the son comes to himself. He finally realizes the stupidity of his ways and turns around he returns home expecting the worst so he comes confessing begging his father to accept him as a mere servant a reasonable father might slam the door in his face before he launches into a tirade about disobedience a whipping was perhaps in order the father rejects all of these seeing his son he is moved to compassion And in upside-down fashion, he foolishly welcomes the scoundrel home, rolling out the red carpet. The author writes this, God is like an upside-down parent. God forgives generously as we repent. God is like a parent who asks no questions, even when treated as dead. This is limitless. Unconditional love with no strings attached. This story takes us to the very heart of God and exposes God's nature. Agape. Such a parent propels us to act. The children of such love want to pass that love on. Like their parent, they become merciful. They love As God loves. Because God has forgiven them. They too can forgive. Grateful response to God is the motive for action in the upside down kingdom. Then he finally closes with this. Triggered by God's love. These deeds are a sweet offering on the altar of worship. What kind of a person does this? Who doesn't respond to insults with insults. Who does not reciprocate. Who goes above what is expected. Who loves enemies. Who prays for them. What kind of a person does that? The same person who knows a Savior who has done the exact same thing for them. That's who does it. And then allows it to transform their life from the inside out. It's not easy. It is not easy. We have a God who came into the kingdom of this world, wrapped his arms around us, and loves us in spite of us. Regardless, even so, loves us. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be your sons of your Father in heaven. That phrase, sons of the Father, it's an idiom. It really means that you may be like your Father in heaven, that when people see you, they see a family resemblance, perfect love. I am praying each and every single day that I am showing more and more family resemblance to the King whose kingdom I represent. And may we as people who desire to be those through whom God's will is done in the region, on earth, as it is in heaven, may we look more and more in our hearts and in our actions and in our words like our king, like King Jesus, King Jesus. Would you stand with me? Let's pray together. Father, we are recipients of your absolutely amazing grace. And even this morning, fathers, we're looking at your word and realizing uh, just the depths and the lengths that you went to to redeem us, to rescue us, to reach out into our lives, Father. You wrapped your arms around uh, around us. In our sinful heart, Father, you reached out and loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, Father, these are hard truths. These These are hard for us to wrap our minds around. But, Father, I pray with the Apostle Paul that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That, Father, in my own life, that I would see your hand at work and and walk in step with your Holy Spirit so that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Father, you've delivered us for a cause. You've delivered us for a reason. And we get to be the living representatives of Jesus to the world around us. What a privilege, but also, Father, to a certain extent a burden because we have to keep ourselves on the altar each and every single day. And we have to allow you to transform and knock off those hard edges in our lives. And Father, help me to lead the way as the pastor of this church and keep myself on the altar. So Father, I might be a living sacrifice to be used in your hands for your glory. I pray that for us as a church today. That Father, we would find ourselves even in the difficulty of acknowledging there are horrible things that happen in our world today. There are horrible things that have happened to the people who stand in this room right now. But at the same time, we have a joy that supersedes our circumstances. We can have a peace that passes all understanding. And so we submit ourselves to you today. We love you. We seek your face. Would you show your glory to us today? We need it. And we love you. Father, as we leave this place, help us to honor you in everything that we do. It's in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Ladies, do not forget to get your gift on the way out. God bless you. Have a fantastic day.